0: This is the Kona
1: Edge, the home of Ironman triathletes who dream of qualifying for the World Championships on the Big Island. Welcome on to this edition of the Kona Edge. I'm Brad Brown. It's good to have you with us, and uh, thank you for joining me today. Uh, You may have noticed over the last uh, three or four weeks, I've been pretty erratic uh, with podcasts. Unfortunately, things have just been uh, crazy uh, here in Cape Town for various reasons, and I'll, I'll share some of those with you. Uh, in a short while but uh, to give you a bit of an update uh, i'm actually backdating these because they've been recorded a while ago and i need to catch up but that's neither here nor there so uh, this podcast is actually uh, although i'm publishing it now is from the beginning of august so there's going to be a few coming thick and fast uh, as we catch those up but today's story uh, or today's athlete that we catch up with is hayden armstrong And I look forward to sharing Hayden's story with you. A fascinating, fascinating story. And uh, hopefully you'll get lots out of it as well. And then stick around to the end of today's podcast. I've got uh, a fairly big announcement to make uh, about the future of the Cone Edge. And, uh, yeah, that's coming up in a short while. Before we touch base with Hayden, let's head over to the Coach's Corner. Today's coach in the spotlight is coach Stephen Brands and Next Level Triathlon. They've proved their results year after year. Steve has personally guided athletes to an ITU Age Group World Championship, Ironman Hawaii and has qualified over 20 athletes to the 70.3 World Championships. Steve isn't your traditional multi-sport coach. He's a full-time endurance coach who works with athletes remotely as well as athletes in a DTE in Madison, Wisconsin. Steve is also one of a few coaches in the USA to high performance mentorship coaching program where he gets to work with the select high performance athletes in the USAT CRP program. In 2015, Steve was selected to run a week-long cam tri-camp in Trinidad and Grenada where he was responsible for working with their top athletes as well as educating their coaches on proper racing, training and season preparation. Some of Steve's athletes have won an ITU Age Group World Championship, won multiple USAT Age Group National Championships, won USAT Duathlon National Championships, podiumed at the 2016 Ironman World Championships, have run sub-three-hour marathon during the Ironman, and qualified athletes to Ironman and 70.3 World Championships. If you'd like to find out more about Steve and Next Level Triathlon, all you need to do is head over to the KonaEdge.com forward slash coaching or click through to Next Level next level triathlon.org all the details on that website okay that's theconeedge.com forward slash coaching and if you are a coach or have a coaching business and you'd like to be featured here on the cone edge all you need to do is head over to that exact web page it's theconeedge.com forward slash coaching Tasmania we go now in Australia to catch up with our next guest Hayden Armstrong, Hayden welcome onto the Cone Edge thanks for joining us
0: Thank you and thanks for having me
1: and we've had quite a few Aussies on the on the podcast, but we've never had anybody from the state of Tasmania. And uh, for for those of us who are are geographically challenged, it's uh, it's a little island just off the coast of Australia. It's uh, quite far south. Uh, tell us tell us a little bit about life on on the island. It's uh, it's a beautiful place. Uh, I've never been, but gee, I've seen some pictures, and it's uh, yeah, it's not difficult to look at.
0: No, Tasmania's a, a beautiful place. Um, it's a definitely a lifestyle choice. Um, the Conditions down here during winter are challenging, but um, obviously in summer it's an amazing place to train. Um, obviously, we produce some amazing cyclists uh, during our uh, little stint of being Tasmania, and um, obviously we've got great roads to ride on, great swimming, um, and some running trails to die for. So it's a bit of a triathlete's paradise in summer, but uh, winter's challenging, but a wonderful lifestyle choice, and um, you're sort of two hours from anything.
1: I love that you use the word challenging during winter because uh, let's be honest challenging is is probably a nice way to describe it it 's rubbish in winter
0: uh rubbish would be the the choice <laughs> um I was to go for a ride today, but uh Given it was uh, minus one outside and uh, windy and a bit sleety, um, it was time to sit on the rollers. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, but uh, I mean, it's it's not a. I mean, triathlon
1: in Australia is pretty big, but Tasmania, it's. Uh, I mean, Tasmania is a small place from a population perspective. It's not a. It's not a. It's not the triathlon mecca of of the Big Island, for example, in in Hawaii, is it?
0: No, it's not the triathlon mecca of the Big Island. We probably normally have between one or two that might uh, venture over to Hawaii each year. But certainly, there's a there's a, a long distance scene down here. Um, probably there's a well, there's a number of participants that did the Ultraman this year. Um, there were six or seven from Tassie, so that was well represented. But in terms of numbers, it, it's pretty small. But uh, we try and punch above our weight in uh, in numbers because some of the uh, the quality of athletes that have actually come out of um, Tassie are, are pretty good. You've got, obviously, Joe Gambles, um, that's a Tassie boy. Um, we've got Todd Skipworth that calls Tasmania home. And then you had Jones Hodge, um, who unfortunately had a couple of injuries, but was a, uh, a fantastic 70.3 athlete as well. So, yeah, we've done all right.
1: Yeah, and, and you talk about punching above your weight. There's something about Tasmania, and it's not just in triathlon. If you look at some of the the overall sports people that Tasmania's produced, and I, and I think just of the likes of cricket, the likes of, of David Boones from down there, he's a pretty gritty character. Uh, I think Ricky Ponting's yeah. also from from Tasmania, if I recall correctly. And and they they build, they build you tough down there, don't they?
0: Well, they try to. I don't know whether we're that tough in winter, but um, no, look, I think mentally we're we're pretty tough and um it is a competitive little environment down here we sort of lived in our own little bubble but um when you go out to play on the big stage um you know your competitiveness does here does does assist you
1: has Tasmania always been home for you or or have you sh- shunted across the to to Tassie to to sort of like you say a lifestyle choice
0: uh no i've uh, i've been a Tasmanian through and through um done a lot been very fortunate to do a lot of trouble um but it's a great place to raise a family um and it is definitely a lifestyle choice Let's
1: talk about your sort of sporting background. Most Aussies were, were active growing up, and i take it it was no different for you?
0: Uh, no, I was a, an active uh, active Aussie, normal kid, played soccer as a kid, and then uh, cricket and football, and obviously had to choose in between those, and then um, sort of graduated to skiing and surfing when I grew up, and I had a bit of a running background as well, but nothing that I really honed in and, and specialised on. I was a, a normal, everyday as kid that enjoyed mucking around outdoors and playing footy with his, with their mates.
1: When did when did you get exposed to triathlon as a sport?
0: Oh, I reckon I got exposed to triathlon probably around I'd be about eight years ago. I reckon seven or eight years ago, and um, I was just involved in a a serious car accident, and it sort of made me change my focus on things. And um, I had a friend of mine that gave me a triathlon magazine, and um, have a read of this and I read about it and I read about the um, the Ironman Port Macquarie and I thought I wouldn't mind doing that one day. So I asked a few people what it was all about and um, the, the rest is history.
1: That's awesome. T- tell me about the, the sort of car accident and the, the change of thinking. That, that, sounds, that sounds quite interesting.
0: Yeah, look, I was just involved in a serious accident and, um, you know, I was lucky to, to be alive. I, I'd come out of it pretty lightly, um, which was great. But you know, I'd always had a um, probably a, a way to deal with the the stress of it and the, the coping mechanisms. Because my father was also diagnosed with cancer in the same you know space of two weeks. That was a pretty challenging time, and I thought I needed something to take my mind off it. And I had just started sort of riding bikes and playing around for two or three months, and then I thought, look, what what better way to um, you know relieve the stress and the anxiety and um make it make a change and go and do some training and sort of try and get some good miles in and um just enjoy doing it and that's what i did and uh, the first race i did i think was the um my first triathlon was a uh, half ironman that was the first one i ever did so i jumped into the deep end on a big rock
1: go big or go home
0: that's exactly right, and <laughs> I found out what it was all about.
1: <laughs> Hayden, how long was it from you reading that magazine and to to your first full Ironman at uh, Port Macquarie?
0: Uh, it was twelve months.
1: Okay, so a year's turnaround. Uh, would you advise that if you had to go back and start over again? Do you think that's enough to to get you ready for your first Ironman?
0: Oh, look, I think uh, knowing what I do know now, probably not. Um, I'd start on the uh, on the small way and work my way up. Um, but certainly, from my perspective of view, you, um, you know, I was really raw and had really no idea what it was, what I was getting myself into, and I thought it couldn't be that bad. Surely, um, I found out <laughs> how painful it can be, but also at the same time how rewarding it was, and it really opened me up to what I should be doing and how I should address it, um, and that's probably where my fortune was um, in. Learning the ropes of triathlon, I suppose. How
1: did you go but, in there?
0: Yeah, i first-
1: How did you go in that um, first one?
0: I did all right. Um I think my first Ironman, I did just under ten hours. And I was I was happy with that. I think I did nine nine fifty or something like that. And um i actually missed out on Hawaii, I think, by a spot and really gave no consideration or thought to it whatsoever because it wasn't even in on my radar until I um, I got talking to someone that was over there who was a coach, and um, I didn't know didn't know he was a coach. He's very low key sort of guy, and um, I'm still with him today. And um, yeah, he sort of really harnessed my potential and um, and made me to commit to something that I, I thought I could do because I really, to be honest, didn't even know much about Kona, so um, so I wasn't really attuned to it. But certainly from my uh, my next. Ironman event, which was New Zealand. Um, that there was a focus there to think that we could we could do it.
1: I find that incredible. You're pretty blasé about it, but to to dip under ten for your first first time out, uh, and and like you say, not really knowing what you're doing, that's phenomenal. Yeah, no, I was pretty happy with it, but like at the
0: same time, I had really no expectation, uh, and and I think that that's really my key to to having a good race: is don't expect anything. Um, it is what it is. <laughs> And you've just got to roll with it. Um, and I've always had that, that sort of mindset and just be relaxed going into it. But um, obviously, the quicker you get, the more pressure you put on yourself. Um, and there's areas where you can, um, can think back at a race and say, look, I could have done this better. Or I could have done that better. And you just learn from them. And, you know, we gradually over time, um, you know, it probably took a process of another 12 months to really dial a few things in. Um, and learn another lot from, from the New Zealand race where I qualified. And, yeah, it was a, a fantastic achievement to get there. So.
1: I love that way of thinking that it is what it is. Uh, you, you almost you, – you can't control the uncontrollables. I mean, if the weather's poor on the yeah. day, it, everyone's got the same conditions. You you need to just take care of what you can take care of. And, and if that's good enough, then that's good enough. If it's not, so, so be it.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, that was instilled me with me. I mean, my, my coaches um, – Grant Giles of Aeromax, and, and he did a lot of work with me around mental toughness and mental mental, mental strength as well. And, you know, I'd always have a, a moan about, you know, what happened, it was windy or something, and he said it is how it is and everyone's in the same boat and you've just got to rise to the occasion. And um, basically, uh, as the uh, one famous triathlete said, uh, Chris McCormack, embrace the suck. Yep,
1: put, put on your big girl pants as they say where I'm from. And- yep. Uh, and just uh, to deal with it. And, and it's interesting. Yep. You talk about the mental toughness. It's almost the, the athletes at, at the highest level, from an ability point of view, I don't think there's too much difference. They can all run a fast marathon. They can all do a fast bike. They're all great swimmers. But at the end of the day, what separates good athletes from great athletes is, is how, as you say, they embrace the suck and how they, they, they can just hang in there when, when they're hurting because everyone goes through patches like that. And it's how you react to those patches that really make a difference.
0: Yeah, I think it's a hundred percent. And you have to stay calm, and you have to stay focused throughout that. Everyone's going to have a bad patch, but you've just got to take it on board and roll with it. It will subside at some point. And if you tell your mind you're hurting, your body will just go with the flow, and you'll just call it a day. And you see so many people that you know don't leave it out there, and you know they'll go and nail themselves and then all of a sudden there's there's the pain kicks in and they think oh i can't do it um well, you know you can but you've just got to apply yourself in a different way
1: have you got strategies during training or or, or racing that you sort of employ that that help you get through those patches because as you say they don't last forever the, the good news is the bad patches don't last forever but the bad news is the good patches don't last forever either
0: no no they don't and i think you, you look you um i've just i have a really simple approach to it and um Yeah, I do a little bit of visualisation, I suppose, as, you know, I see if there's a gap opening up, you you know, you stay calm and you stay focused and you don't try and just immediately shut it down. You just gradually bring it back. Um, If someone's going to put on a surge of pace on the bike, yes, you've got to roll with it, but at the same time, they're not going to keep that pace for the whole entire time. It's going to come back and it's going to calm down at some point. So you just visualise yourself pulling that gap in um, and making sure that you're um, you're staying calm and focused um, during that time and you can, you know, visualise yourself um, being back in the lead or um, being back in the mix. And, you know, it, it's worked and but it took a long time to get to that and I think my last, you know, three odd Ironmans were probably the better ones and I was able to really harness that and um, it sounds a bit... Um, Blase, and it sounds a bit kooky but it actually seriously has worked
1: yeah and it, it comes with experience the more you practice it the more you put yourself oh, yeah. in those in those situations the better you get let's talk about that Ironman New Zealand where you qualified what did you do differently you mentioned obviously getting a a, a serious coach uh but what, what did you do differently in the build-up to New Zealand that you did to Ironman Macquarie in, in the build-up to your first one
0: Oh, look, I think the big difference was structure in that one. I really was flying by the seat of my pants on my first ever uh, Ironman. I had no really idea what to expect. Um, I didn't really race with nutrition very well. Um, I was pretty raw on the bike um, and the run. I didn't even use a heart rate monitor. I, I, I had nothing really, and it was just all by feel. But most of my racing is by feel still. Um, But, no, I got myself a coach. Um, I looked at nutrition and and there was some structure that was put into a program and and that really helped um, deliver a bit of focus. But um, And we just focused on that race and that race alone. Um, And, you know, there was no real expectation that I would qualify. Um, But if I did, you know, it happened. Um, And I think that that was the the greatest thing is a lot of people um, go into – an Ironman Man race wanting to qualify for Kona. Um don't think about it. It's it's gonna be some people's downfall.
1: Let's talk about what it does take. What what do you think in, in your opinion is the secret to qualifying for the World Champs?
0: Um look I, I think there's you've got to surround yourself with good people. Um and first of all I think you should get yourself a coach. Um don't just go trialing the internet for programs. Um I think you should talk to someone about what your goals are. Um, look at, you know, what your strengths and what your weaknesses are, um, and someone will actually look at concentrating on those strengths and weaknesses. Have structure, um, and also make sure that you know you're getting the appropriate recovery and rest, uh, and also making sure that your nutrition's right. And um, don't take yourself too seriously. seriously. That's just, me. like <laughs> oh, so many people just talk it up and put it out there. Um, just get out there and do it. That's I, lo- I love
1: that because that is, that is such a big triathlon thing, isn't it? I mean, you, you see it well, yeah. time and time again at races. You arrive and someone pulls in there with the best gear. They've got these wheels on the bike that, I mean, pros would look at that and, and shudder. And then you see them out on the course and you think to yourself, what are you doing?
0: Yeah, oh, look, and I'm I'm a victim of that. Um, I looked at that when I first started my triathlons and I saw those people with all this gear and thought, geez, what am I doing here? You know, am I actually worthy of, of being here? And then, you know, you've got to believe in yourself and you have to trust and believe in your own ability and someone is going to back you. And if you think you can do it, you just go out there and do it. Don't worry about what anybody else and how anyone else is training or what they're saying about they're going to, Burn the house down on the bike, or run away with it. Just focus on yourself, and you'll have a much better race.
1: And it's so true because if you do start focusing on what everyone else is doing, you don't know what their build up has been like, you don't know what their training load has been like. You need to, you need to again control what you can control. And if someone's better yeah. on the day, then so be it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, my my Ironman race has progressively got better and better and better um, because it was consistency over those three disciplines. Um, yes, you've got to have an X factor in some type of discipline, whether it be the swim, bike, or run. And for me, the bike was my X factor where I could actually get away and get up the road and put a bit of hurt into a few people. But that comes with time. Um, But, yeah, just be consistent and don't worry about the person next to you.
1: I mean, that is the number one thing that I've picked up. I mean, I've done – gee, I I don't know, probably – over a hundred of these sort of interviews, and consistency is the number one thing that I pick up from every single one of the the age groups that I chat to. And it's not necessarily consistency in the build up to one Ironman, but it's consistency over time. And and like you say, it's yeah. it's a two, three, four year process. Sometimes even longer. And you've just got to you've got to see it out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you've got to learn by your mistakes. I mean, um, sometimes you just you know, you'll make an error in training or you'll make an error during a race and you have to put that in the memory bank for the next race. Um, and so, you know, if I'm there again, I won't do it.
1: Let's talk about some of those mistakes. What are what are some of the, the big mistakes you've made in, in your career and, and what have you learned for it and how have you fixed it?
0: Well, look, I think some of the bigger mistakes that I've made is going too hard too early um, and thinking that I'm right or, um, you know, you're getting on the bike and you're feeling super comfortable and um, you skip a bit of nutrition and then uh, two hours later that's really going to catch up with you um, and it's going to bite you hard on the run um, those are the sort of things that I've I've really learned um, so that's the biking side swimming um, look don't get psyched out um, during a, a mass start it is what it is um, if you're going to have a few punches thrown and um, goggles ripped off. Just stay calm um, and, you know, within 500 metres, everything will sort itself out um, and don't don't get flustered by it. And um, don't miss a pack on the swim. Make sure that you stay on someone's feet and you keep pushing and driving as hard as you can um, so you can get yourself a good position for the ride. Um, from riding, if, you, if there's a bunch that goes, um, you've got to go with them. Um, Don't let them continuously keep dropping back and dropping back. Your race will just slide backwards. And then for running, just hitting that number, just being consistent, um, getting into the run comfortably, um, making sure that when you're running, um, give yourself, you know, 15, 20 minutes to settle in and then go to work, um, trying to hit that number that you want to hit and making sure that you hydrate and have the right nutrition. Um, You know, they're all things that I've learned out racing, um, how to cope with the pressure.
1: What are you, what are you most proud of in your, your Ironman triathlon career to date?
0: Oh look, I'm, each race has a different um, different achievement but I suppose um, probably the most proudest thing I have is I set myself a goal to, to race five corners in a row, that's what I wanted to do um, and I just applied myself to have that goal, the first one that I ticked off I thought yeah that's a fluke but the second one, I thought, no, I can do it. The third one, you just got to believe in yourself and you get, just want to get better and better and better. Um, and the fifth one, my goal was to go under nine hours. And, you know, I, I achieved that. And that's always going to be really special to me because it is a hard place to get under five hours and, you know, uh, nine hours. Some people say it was a quick day. Um, I, I beg to differ. Um, I think it's, you know, all about what's in your ticker and what drives you to uh, to get there and, so yeah, 19, uh, 2013, I went under under nine hours, um, had a break from the sport for a couple of years in terms of the Ironman and went to 70.3, learned a lot about racing 70.3s um, and then come out and break the course record last year in New Zealand, I think I was 8.47 or something um, for my age group and um, another another of qualification. So, you know, those are, those are really good moments.
1: I mean, you talk about getting to, to Kona once and feeling, well, perhaps that was a fluke. And, and a lot of people will say this, that getting to Kona once is not necessarily the easy bit, but it's, it's going back. You almost doubt yourself because once you get to the island, you look around and you think, gee, how, how did I end up here? But to go back a second time is pretty tough. And, and that's where you talk about the belief and just knowing that, you know what, I belong here. I've done the work. I'm good enough. And this is where I should be.
0: Yeah, and I think that the first the first race is all about learning and going out there and just enjoying being part of the the spectacle as it is and just have no expectations and, and learn from it because I tell you what, um is just a, a whole level above the next triathlon. Um, you know, the, the biggest things that I learned about that over there was that you can't get away, you can't get up the road because everyone's just as strong as you. Um, you're racing people from around the world that have, you know, come first, second or third on the podium and they're just as strong as what you are um, and that really comes down to that mental toughness. But if you can enjoy the race and just be, I know it sounds a bit funny, but be at one with the island and just make sure that you embrace what that island throws up, um, you'll have a much better race by doing it. And, you know, I've done it six times now, but, you know, the third and the fourth and the fifth time it was pretty well game on um, to go out there and give it your best. And you know that you belong there and you know that you've done it a couple of times before. You're used to the course. You know what conditions are going to throw up and it just becomes more and more comfortable. But still that uh, feeling of coming down the Lee drive and finishing and also just being part of what that race is, um, is something very special.
1: What makes it so special?
0: I think it's, the, it's just the island itself. Um, I think it's the course that it throws up. Um, it's the build up to the race. Um, it's the people that are there. Um, that, you know, there's all shapes and sizes and there's all walks of life, um, that come to the island to to come and watch the spectacle as what is Iron Man. And basically, it's the world's best at that time on the stage. Um, and it's a fantastic one day race. Um, and you know, the conditions are just can be so challenging and so tough. Um, but it's something that you just, embrace and enjoy and it does go by so quickly and then it's um you know you can be over there for 10 days and it goes like a flash um and the other thing that i really enjoy is taking my family over and um we love just hanging out together on on the beach or going thing or something and it, it's a really relaxing way to um to go into a rut.
1: And that's also, I mean, you talk about people taking themselves way too seriously. The way I've approached races, I mean, let, let's be honest, training for an Ironman is tough. It's probably, I mean, it's probably tougher than actually doing the race. I mean, the amount of work that goes in and, and that sort of thing. And, and the race itself is a, is a celebration for all the, the work you've put in. That's the way I approach it. And by the sounds of it, e- even though you are racing hard in a race like, like Kona, you, you do see it that way, that it's a case to, or, or an opportunity to, to, to sort of give something back to yourself, but also to to your loved ones for the the sacrifices that everyone's put in in the build up to it.
0: Oh, absolutely! And you know, look, we're we're all racing for different reasons, and um, I think it, it's most important that to have a reality check is you're only you're only racing yourself. And um, look, no doubt there's some egos out there that are just kind of junkies, and that's all they ever think about. But you know, life's a lot bigger than that. You know, in the moment, in that time, um, it's it's a fantastic day to be part of it. But then you've got the chance to, once you finished, to reflect on how you went, enjoy your time with your family, and um, and you know, take a reality check on life. I suppose.
1: Let, let's talk about life outside of triathlon. You you're self-employed. You've got your own business. You, you've mentioned you've got a, a family. So you're married, uh, little one. Tell tell me a little bit about sort of how you get the juggle right. And and obviously Tasmania doesn't have let's say traffic like you would necessarily in a big city uh so so you probably don't spend as much time commuting but you still need to pay bills and and keep things going how do you get that balance right
0: oh look that's um it's a very (laughs) difficult question i think um you know look there's a lot of sacrifices that are made but i think i've got i've got an amazing wife that supports me um in my endeavors and um you know my, my daughter enjoys um be going out and, and, and participating in races because she has the, the opportunity to go and travel and see new things. But, um, you, look, you've got to surround yourself with support and, and great people um, and make sure that you you communicate to them what you're doing um, and that you're going out to do something um, and that, you know, you, if you're going to be five hours out there, you'll be five hours out there, no more, no less, get back in and um, and start start again, get back into work. Um, and the same on a long ride on a weekend, if you go out on a Sunday or a Saturday for a long ride or a run, as soon as you come back, you you spend some good quality family time um, and sometimes you've got to put the work in at night. Um, it's just finding that balance, but certainly a supportive environment and having people understand what your goals are and helping you achieve that. I know it's an individual sport. But at the same time, there's so many people that um, bring it together to make sure that you uh, you cross that finish
1: line. Let's talk goals. You've you've had some great successes over your Ironman career. What's what's the left for you to achieve? What are you what are you chasing? What do you still want to do?
0: Oh look, I've got probably got some unfinished business in seventy point three. Um, I've been, you know, I'd really like to. To get a win in the, in a World Championships in the, in the seventy point three format, um, whether I do or I don't, you know that that's up to me. Um, I've, you know I've had some setbacks last year. I fractured my hip. You um, know. In a bike accident and just had to come back and build up from there so you know Kona wasn't really a, a fantastic race um, for me but certainly I was just stoked to be there and participate in it and I was lucky enough to, to race and i had an alright race but there was a lot of pain in the hip and things so I've just sort of tried to get that right and recover um, and I'll, I'll do some um, some more 70.3s I think next year and we'll, we'll just see where that takes me but Kona's always uh, always there and abouts, and um, I, you know I don't I think I still got one one left in me, but um, you know whether that happens in the next couple of years is another thing. Um, the stars have to align with your work and family commitments, um, but you know long distance racing will always be there. But I'd I'd love to go and do another seventy point three worlds and try and get a really good result out of that, um, and. In doing that, I'd have to focus pretty hard on the running um, to make sure that I can um, get off the bike in, in a good condition, and I think that that's my, been my downfall in seventy point three is, is the running off the bike. Um, I mean, I can still run a sort of a one, one nineteen or a one twenty, but uh, unfortunately, um, it's not getting any slower. <laughs> and the body's ageing, so it's uh, it's a bit of a challenge to actually get, that, get those times down. I've broken four hours in... Um, you know, uh, in a seventy point three, but whether I can get there again, I've just got to work really hard to get there. So.
1: You, you talk about as you're getting older, you're getting getting slower. That that's a challenge for a lot of triathletes. Is it something that really bugs you, or is it again, it is what it is?
0: Oh look, everyone's going to age. Um, I think you've just got to approach things differently. Um, you've got to approach your training differently. You've got to approach your recovery differently. Um, you are not going to to back up the next day or the day after by having two or three solid hits in a row. You've just got to understand that your bodies are changing. Um, And I think it's important just to recognise that as as frustrating as it sometimes can be. um, I think from my perspective, I've had a super run. I've been injury free. Um, I've looked after myself and I've had great support and, you know if I can continue to to just race and enjoy it um I think the results will just just happen naturally um it is what it is um I've always gone out with a race and people may not believe me but I've always just wanted to finish um but how high up the pecking order you finish depends on uh, how you apply yourself on the day
1: We've got uh, quite an interesting sort of blend of people who listen to this podcast. There's obviously a lot of age groupers who are, are gunning for 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 Kona, but we've also got a lot of novices and and people just starting out in the sport. What what advice would you give to to someone who's considering their first Ironman? What 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 would you tell them?
0: Oh, look, I think if you're considering your first Ironman, um, get some get some help. Um, you know, if you if you really want to go and do one, go and get a coach, um, and Talk to people um, that are professionals in that area um, don 't do any internet trolling yourself get some get the right advice um, get a, a a good nutrition plan going um, and and get some structure um, in your training and and have no expectations on your first race. Just go out there and and learn um, learn the ropes as such don 't worry about what anyone else is doing and just focus on your day. Um, and making sure that what you've put into practice during training, you put into race day, and don't do anything different. Just be structured and measured about it.
1: And go out and enjoy it. It's uh, it's, a, it's a cool oh, day out. Look, Your first one's always big. Yeah, it's a great day huh?
0: and it does go really quick. I mean, even though some people might be out there for, <laughs> you know, 14 or 15 hours, um, you know, they're true warriors, and um, I'll tell you what I said to my wife once the day someone gives me a glow stick and a, um, and a rain, a rain Protector, I'm out. Um, I mean, those are the people that actually have true determination and true grip, and they'll just get better and better as they go.
1: I was going to say, some of us are out there longer than others, and uh, I'm I'm in this in the Absolutely. the first half. I don't I don't fit into the sub ten on debut. I'm afraid.
0: Well, I mean, look that's the that's the great thing about the sport um, is that everyone is different. Everyone has has different aspirations and goals, um, and I don't think that you can. Um, dismiss the people that are out there for that, you know, 16 odd or 15 hours or even 12 or 13 hours. Um, they do an amazing job um, and, you know, they stay true to themselves and they just tough it out. And, you know, everyone, I suppose, sometimes wants to go fast and wants to go under nine hours or wants to go under 10 hours. Um, remember that you are you um, and you can, and if you give it 100%, that's all you can do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I did an Ironman a few years ago with my dad, who had just turned sixty-seven. Oh, wow. Did he did his first one, and we were we were out there for just under seventeen hours. I think he did a, a sixteen forty-seven, uh, and that was a long day. Let me tell you, I've got newfound respect for anybody who, who finishes between yeah. sixteen and seventeen. That is one hell of a long day. And you know what? They get the same medal as the guy who wins, uh, and they're an Ironman. And Absolutely. I think that's what I love about yep. what I love about the sport.
0: And you've got bragging rights, so that's the greatest thing. I mean, we've we've always tried to, in Hawaii, once the, the race is over and it's finished, go back to the finish line at midnight and go and watch those people come over. You know, it's amazing when people are between, you know, 70 and 80 years of age and they're they're out there doing it, that, you know, they're 40 years older than what you are. Um, you know, just give back and give them a cheer and give them a pat on the back as they come through because they are tough yeah
1: and that that's my Kona strategy is to outlive everyone in my age group i oh,
0: yeah I oh, it's a really wise choice I think there's a <laughs> black brother name of Lou Hollander that did that pretty well He won his first championships at eighty odd, and I think he said <laughs> the crowd um he was hoping that everyone would die off and uh, he'd be able to uh, come through with the goods, which he did
1: uh, my my problem is with everyone's ability at that eighty year old at the moment, I to live till about a hundred and five to qualify.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I think the other thing about the 80-year-olds is um, it's funny that there's a space of probably 200 metres in distance for 17 hours. They're looking at each other all day. (laughs) Um, You know, isn't that amazing if you can can come in within, you know, two or three minutes of one another but you've been out there for 16 hours and you can see that they're back but you just can't get past
1: them no it's an incredible incredible sport well, Hayden thanks for your time today on the Cone Edge I look forward to chatting about the individual disciplines in uh, the next time we chat but we'll save that for another day thanks for your time today
0: no worries all good Jeez.
1: thank you very much to Hayden for sharing his story with us I mentioned at the start of the podcast that uh, I've got a pretty important announcement to make about the future of the Kona Edge. And to give you a bit of background before I get into to where we're going, but uh, to get into a bit of uh, background, the Kona Edge started, it was almost two years ago. It was November 2015 is when I started it. And you may or may not know the story of how it started, but uh, I'd been sitting on this idea for a long, long time of chatting to very competitive age groupers because there were lots of platforms talking to the professionals, There were lots of platforms uh, talking to athletes who had really inspiring stories, but there weren't any platforms consistently talking to top world-class age group of triathletes, and I thought there was a a bit of a gap in the market, and it turns out uh, there was. And since we started, we are currently closing in, and it should happen in the next uh, week or so, closing in on three quarters of a million downloads of this podcast in less than two years, which is uh, superb. I'm uh, thoroughly grateful for everyone who listens and downloads the podcast. I love doing it, and obviously there's a lot of people who love listening to it, otherwise we wouldn't have had that many downloads but we are sitting in a bit of a situation at the moment and I'm going to level with you I'm going to be I'm going to lay things out there and, and and be totally transparent but we are sitting in a a bit of a situation here at the Kona Edge for a number of reasons so outside of uh what I do on this podcast I have a day job I'm a sports journalist and I also have a business where we create this sort of content for clients And uh, on two fronts, on the the day job perspective, there have been some pretty big changes uh, from my day job, and uh, yeah, it's pretty unsettling if I have to be honest, and yeah, I'm not quite sure how long it's still going to continue, but I have pretty much been put on alert that things may be changing. I had contract negotiations uh, last week, and yeah, my contract's only been renewed for Trying to do the maths for another six months. So we are sitting in a situation, very precarious situation, where I don't have any long-term job security. So I really need to hustle and make sure that my business uh, is doing well. (laughs) Then uh, our biggest client currently decides they want to go AWOL. And in going AWOL, they decide they're not paying us. So they owe us uh, a boatload of money uh, for content like this that we've created for their platforms and uh yeah just decided that's it they're not paying and uh, the content is theirs which we've created and they haven't paid for so we are sitting in a situation where, first of all, they owe us a lot of money, and second of all, we need to go the legal route to try and either reclaim that money, which we would like because we can't do anything with that content uh, that they've commissioned us to create. But uh, yeah, other, otherwise, we need to pull that content down. So uh, we're sitting in a, in a huge situation there. Uh, I'm married. I've got three kids. I've got school fees. I've got uh, rent to pay. But just like everyone else, we'll make things work. But that's where the cone edge comes in. This has been a passion project of mine for the last two years. Uh, it hasn't necessarily made uh, any money. Every now and again, we do get some in from advertising, and I'm I'm really really grateful for that. But unfortunately, it does cost me money. There's transcriptions. Uh, it's time. There's a lot of time that goes into creating uh, a five podcast uh, a week podcast and uh, yeah that's where we've had to draw a line in the sand so going forward this is what is going to happen with the Kona Edge. I am on a bit of a uh, a sort of I don't want to say a deadline but the line has been drawn in the sand between my wife and I that uh, this thing has to be self-sufficient otherwise we have to pull the plug and we've pretty much given it till the end of November so on the Cone Edge's two-year birthday, if it's not supporting itself, it's got to go. We've got to really simplify our lives and and make sure that where we're putting time and effort in, we are getting rewards for for our family and going forward to, to be able to financially and economically sustain ourselves. So that's where we're at at the moment. Uh, I've got two and a, a bit months to make sure that the Cone Edge does become self-supportive, and that's where I want to ask for your help. So over the last almost two years, We've been creating five podcasts a week, and that is a ton of work. If uh, anybody's ever uh, created a podcast, you'll know how much it goes into creating one podcast a week. We're doing it five times a week. So uh, the rhythm is pretty simple. On a Monday uh, on the Cone Edge, you'll hear a post uh, about running. On a uh, Tuesday, it's nutrition. Wednesday is a story like today's one. Thursday is swimming, and Friday is biking. So those are the five, and, and it's every week that's the rhythm. So what we've decided to do is cut back on the public podcast feed. So we're still going to create all that content, but unfortunately, some of it needs to go behind a paywall, and uh, in order to access it, we're asking for your help. So uh, we're going to be publishing a podcast every single Wednesday, come hell or high water, until the end of November, and that's when we'll make a decision whether we're continuing with this or not. Uh, so as it stands now, if you subscribe to this feed, that's the podcast you're going to get. You'll get one a week for... The remaining two and a half months until the end of November. Uh, And then the other podcast that we are creating, we are putting onto our Patreon feed. So if you would consider becoming a patron, you can get access to the entire uh, Cone Edge as it stands right now. And uh, yeah, we're asking for $5 a month. So essentially buying us a cup of coffee, uh, you keep the lights on and... Yeah, that's pretty much where we're at now. If we don't get the support that we need, unfortunately, we're going to have to pull the plug on all of it. So I'm asking you to open your heart and your wallets. If you get any value out of these podcasts, uh, yeah, please consider supporting us. Head over to thekonaedge.com forward slash support. That's where you can do it. And as long as you're a patron, you'll keep getting those feeds. It's pretty simple, uh, and I want to try and keep it as simple as possible. So that's thekonaedge.com forward slash support. Apologies for venting and and just vomiting this all over you, but that's unfortunately the situation that we are sitting in right now, and uh, yeah, I want to make this thing work. I'm I'm so passionate about the cone edge, and the last thing I want to do is pull the plug, but we are in that situation at the moment where it is uh, do or die, it's make or break, and I've got two and a half months uh, to make this happen. So with your help, hopefully we can. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to, to chatting to you on the other side. From myself, Brad Brown, have yourself a good one. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Kona Edge. Don't forget to connect with us on social media. Simply search for the Kona Edge.